Today, I'm continuing in this series that I started last week called Unstuck. It's about moving beyond mediocrity. And, and today, I'm talking about your occupation or your field. And so, so in order to get, get us going, I want us to look at some pictures. This first picture, who do you think this is? Uh, oh, wait, you, you guys gave, gave the, the answer. I, actually, I was, it was my fault. You weren't supposed to put the answer. You're supposed to, we were, hopefully, we were just going to have the picture up there without the name. But that's Van Gogh. All right, Van Gogh. You guys like Van Gogh, right? It's my fault, not y'all's. It's it, Van Gogh. He's a cool guy. Like, he's one of my my wife's favorite artists. She has been like in art galleries, and she she'll look at a Van Gogh, and her heart rate increases, and she's just and I'm standing there going, I don't get it, you know, I don't get it. But but for real, I am totally serious. But Van Gogh, I mean, he was a pretty cool. I mean, here's a story about him though. He started as a schoolmaster, and then he became an apprentice priest. Now I have no idea what an apprentice priest is, but that sounds like pretty, you know, a pretty tough job. And then he became an art dealer. And at that time, he began to find his true, uh, true calling as an impressionist painter. And so he actually went from being stuck to unstuck in his work. Uh, Julia Child. Now you see this next one. She is amazing. Some of you remember her. Those of you who are who are maybe over 40, if there are any of you among us here. But, but she, at the age of 30, she worked for the U.S. government in Asia as a spy. Uh, she's known for what she did with her cooking classes and everything on TV, but she didn't take her first cooking class until she was 36 years old, and that's when she kind of found her true calling, and she went from being stuck to unstuck. Here's the next one. This guy's cool. Walt Disney. Disney, he's awesome. He's uh, He created the happiest place on earth. But do you realize he was rejected by the army in World War I? They wouldn't even let him in. They rejected him. And then after the war, uh, the, he, he still couldn't even find himself a job. So he finally got a job, as uh, a part-time job, working at a newspaper. And, and then it was after that he got a full-time job in an ad company. And that's where he learned his first lessons in animation, and which, of course, led to what you and I know him for. So he went from being stuck to unstuck. And and here's the next one, Harry S. Truman. Now, now Harry Truman is the only one of these that I've actually been, I've, he's the only president other than the than George W. Bush that I've actually been to their presidential library. And, and so, so I, I've learned a lot about him, but, but this man started off as a bank clerk, and then he became a bookkeeper, and then he got with a friend and tried to start a hardware store in Kansas City, and it failed, and he was stuck, his life was miserable until he became a politician, then everything changed from there. He eventually became president. Uh, the, the last one here, he's, he's got to be my favorite. He's the coolest. Harrison Ford. He is the ultimate in cool for our generation, isn't he? He just, he just is. He is the ultimate in cool. Um, but, but there was a life before Han Solo. Do you, do you know that about him? Uh, in fact, I saw an older movie with him in the pre-Han Solo days the other day at home, and I thought, oh, this is great. I got so excited Harrison Ford was in it. But before that, he toiled for 15 years as a carpenter carpenter and as a stagehand. He even, uh, he, he even made cabinets for this lesser-known producer by the name of George Lucas back in those days. And, and, and all of these people, they went from being stuck to unstuck, and that can happen for any of us. So do you, any of you guys feel stuck in your career or in your job right now? And I, I just want you to be honest. Think about it honestly. 
Now, now, you don't have to raise your hand or say anything because your boss might be here, and you don't want to do that. But, but, but maybe you feel like you've hit the ceiling at your job. You just can't go any higher. Or maybe you've, you've, just, you've gone as far as you can, and it's frustrating, and you're stuck. Or maybe you're just totally bored and disinterested in what you do, and there's no meaning. There's no fulfillment. There's, you're just going to work, and you're getting a paycheck, and you feel stuck. And Maybe it's a situation where you work for a bad boss or it's, or it's a toxic work environment and, and it's, a situ, it's a setting where you aren't being treated fairly or maybe taking advantage of it. You're doing all the work, but someone else is getting all the credit. You know what I mean? And you feel stuck. Sometimes when that happens, you even feel like a failure. Maybe you can't even get your business off the ground, and, and, and you're not getting the callbacks that you want, and you, maybe you recently lost a job, and and you're just lost, and you're confused, and you're not sure what direction to go in occupationally, and you're just stuck. And you'd say, Pastor, I'd admit that today. I'm stuck. Well, there is there actually right now, statistically, there are more people who are listening to me right now who are stuck occupationally than those who, I guess, would be unstuck. In fact, recent studies show that approximately 60% of all Americans feel stuck when it comes to their jobs or their careers, and they simply feel dissatisfied with their jobs. In fact, they would quit if they had the opportunity tomorrow. So, and it's not like the other 40% are just jumping up and down and excited and fulfilled and happy. It's just that the other 40% don't feel like quitting today. But I want to say this, that's not how God wants it to be. Now, I'm not saying that work should be easy and it should just be easy and fun and it should be a game. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to say this today. I'm not even saying that your work needs to be fulfilling or meaningful all the time. But what I am saying is that God doesn't want you to feel stuck when it comes to your career, when it comes to your work. Solomon, who I would consider to be the ultimate high achiever, he wrote these words during a time of, of, of deep personal depression late in life. This is at a time when he realized that his that wealth and position and success and popularity and sex and luxury, that they were all empty pursuits. And he had got to this place, and he realized that he had pursued all of this, but he had abandoned his authentic relationship with God. And in his depression and in his misery, he wrote these words. He says, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days and their work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This is meaningless. So maybe we should just all quit. <laughs> just quit and give up. But the truth is, if you want to go from being stuck to unstuck in your career, it's not about quitting. 
First of all, when you quit your job, that does not necessarily get you unstuck. In fact, it could get you further stuck, couldn't it? In fact, the truth is I see this a lot, and, and, and it's, it, it's not about trying to find your dream job or the perfect job because the truth is I also know a lot of people who have found what they consider to be their dream job, and they get into it, and then they feel like they're even more stuck than they were before. So today, since we're talking about moving from being stuck to unstuck, I'm going to have to take it back to the beginning of what we introduced last week about trusting God because this whole series is about trusting God with every area of your life. In fact, there's this definition of being unstuck that we're using throughout this series, and here it is, unstuck defined for our purposes is this, moving forward in my life because I'm willing to give God complete control. Let's look at it again. Moving forward in my life because I'm willing to give God complete control. Control. Hey, that's a cool graphic. You guys did good. See, you're doing great. I don't know who's doing all that cool stuff, but I like it. So, so there, there are three key words, though. I want you to look at the, the key words. There's the, the, the last three words. I'm willing to give God. The next one is complete. And the last word is control. You have to give it over to him. Last week we talked about if you're feeling stuck in your faith or you're feeling stuck spiritually that you want to move from being stuck to being unstuck, then you have to give God full control. And today, if you feel stuck in your career or your job or your occupation, you want to get unstuck, then you actually have to give God complete control over that area of your life. So today we're going to be looking at an interesting story from the New Testament, and it's, it's about this guy named Mark. And I doubt any of you have really heard the depths of this story that I'm going to share with you today. He's also in the Bible known as John Mark. So he kind of had two, two names that went together, but he, we, we know him basically as Mark. But, but he, at one point in his life, got miserably stuck. And today we're going to learn some lessons from him regarding how to get unstuck. See, the story of Mark, it happened during the first century, and the, and the story is not actually in, in some kind of a story format that's in the Bible. You actually have to take the various things that we know and the little scriptures here and there and piece them together to create his story, but it's really quite amazing. It's happened during the first century. It was after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and had ascended into heaven, and, and, and Jesus gave his disciples this last final command before he went into heaven. And, and what was that? It was this? Go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, tell people about me so they can have eternal life. And that was the command of God. So so just a few years after Jesus gave this final command and he ascended into heaven, the church was getting started and they were going around. They were telling people about Jesus and the church was really growing. And one of these churches that was thriving, the churches were named by their cities, not like, you know, we call ourselves City Life Center, but 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 really the the big big one would be the church of Fort Worth and so so that's how they named their churches in those days so this was the church at a city called Antioch and 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 they had raised up two superstar missionaries their names were Paul and Barnabas they're written about throughout the New Testament in fact Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament and, and they were going to send these guys to places that had never heard about Jesus. And they were going to send them up into Asia Minor, which we know as Turkey today. They were going to send them over to Europe, which, which we know as Greece. And, and so, so they were getting ready to send them out. And this is where Mark walks into the story because Mark is a part of Paul and Barnabas's 
Paul and Barnabas's, is that right? Barnabas, their, 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 their ministry team. And so here we pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 4. It says this, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, there's more than two of them, all right? Uh, But those are the two superstars. They went down to Seleucia and sailed there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And here's the big line. John Mark was with them as their helper. He's like the assistant. He's the intern. Well, yep, that's the guy we're talking about today. Here he is. As an intern, and look down at verse thirteen in that same pass in that same chapter of Acts thirteen. It says, "From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia." Now look at this, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Now what? Mark left them halfway through their journeys and their work. He just left them. Now we don't know why he quit. Most people, in fact, many assume that he was in. They were he was a bad term somehow with Paul and with Barnabas. And, but basically, what he did is he walked off the job. He deserted them. Now, two years later, Doctor Luke, who is also serving on this team, Doctor Luke is the one who even authored this here in in Acts. He he's the one who records all this. He says this. It says Paul then two years later said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and let's visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and let's see how they're doing. So they're getting ready to do another missionary journey. And it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. <laughs> Paul, he said to Barnabas, he said, well, he, he, he said, well, I don't know, I don't know exactly, exactly how, how all that worked out, but it said, it said that Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them, walked off the job, quit, didn't say a word in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in their work, their occupation, their labors. Now, it says they had a sharp disagreement. This is Paul and Barnabas, the superstar missionaries, and they parted company. This actually caused this ex-intern and his issues caused the two main big dog missionaries to split off. They got into a fight with each other over the intern who had deserted them. So Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and he left, commanded by, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So are you getting the picture here? There's this sharp disagreement. The the ministry team splintered up. Now, Now, we do know this, is that Paul and Silas had a very incredible missionary trip. Uh, we, we know this, again, because Dr. Luke recorded it, and Dr. Luke was on their team. He was one of the, the guys who was hanging with them, and he had gone on the first uh, tour with Paul and Barnabas, and he's with them again, and he wrote down everything for us in the book of Acts, but he's staying with Paul and now Silas. But we don't know exactly what happened with Barnabas and Mark because there was no one actually writing down their story after they had split up. But, but we do know this much. Here's one thing we know, is that Mark had gotten stuck in his job. He was unhappy. He quit. He maybe got fired. 
But whatever happened, I know there are a lot of you who are here today who might just feel like Mark and you feel stuck. Now, now, fortunately, this is not the end of Mark's story. It, there, there's, there's, a, there's a big ending to this thing, but I'm going to come back to it in just a few minutes. We're going to look at this story later, but right now I want us to learn from Mark and the, the situation he was in. And I want us to look at some basic choices that can help us in our lives from going from being stuck to being unstuck in our career and in our occupation. So to get unstuck in your field, and that's the term I'm using here because everything in this series starts with an F, so you have to start this one with an F. So, so to get unstuck in my field, I need to choose to make God my boss. Now, again, we don't know why Mark left the team. He went home. Went home to mommy. I don't know. Maybe We can only speculate, but it could have been his pride he went on this trip, and maybe he wanted to preach, and he wanted to be on the stage with Paul and Barnabas, but Paul and Barnabas were on the stage, and he was like kind of carrying the luggage, and, and he was their assistant, the Bible says, and he wanted to get the attention. I mean, he was a good guy. He was a man of God, but he didn't get it, and maybe he felt jealous of Paul and Barnabas, and maybe he felt unappreciated. I mean, you ever felt that way before? You just felt just flat out unappreciated for all you're doing? You do all the hard work, but it's your coworkers who get the credit. You're the one who's responsible for making it all come together and the project actually be a success, but your boss gets the credit from the and, and, and the supervisor then doesn't even share your name when it comes to the end of it all. Maybe that just makes you feel stuck. Maybe Mark felt like he was being treated unfairly. Maybe Paul and Barnabas, as great and wonderful men of God, missionaries as they were, maybe they were bad bosses. In fact, we do know this, is that Paul actually had a terrible temper and that he was incredibly impatient. I'm not making excuses for him, but it's in the Scriptures. And maybe he just jumped on Mark one too many times and he said, goodbye, I'm getting in the boat, I'm going home to Mommy. Maybe he hurt Mark's feelings, and that's why I walked away. Maybe some of you are here today, and you are dealing with a tough boss, a boss who's just harsh and doesn't treat you fairly and that makes you feel stuck. And maybe you're in that kind of a toxic work environment. The truth is, that is hard. I understand that. and I'm sorry. I know what that's like. I've been there when your boss sits you up in front of the rest of the staff and said, you did an event at the church that I didn't approve the budget. It was still sitting on my desk. Therefore, you're going to pay $1,000 out of your own paycheck over the next six weeks to pay for the event that you just led for the children of the church. I'm going, I do what? (laughs) Yeah, because I'm going to use you as an example and tell everyone. It's like, that's kind of embarrassing. That's kind of harsh. And what in the world do you do with that? How do you deal with that? You know, situations like that happen, and work is hard. Work is hard sometimes, and that's the truth. I mean, but keep in mind, that's why they call it work. That's why they pay you to do it, right? I mean, if it wasn't hard, they wouldn't need to pay you to do it. You would just, like, do it for free, and you'd be happy to show up there. But, again, they pay you because it's not something that you would typically do in your free time. And there will always be some part of your job that you just find a bit unfulfilling. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. You're going to find parts of your job that's just not you. It's just not your gifting. It's not fulfilling. And, and it's just simply not going to make you happy. 
I mean, yesterday I spent almost every waking hour except for a break at the gym working on financials for our church. And, boy, that was, that was my friend, very, very exciting. <laughs> Actually, I'm lying. It gives me a headache. But, and for some of you, that's exactly what you want to do on a Saturday. Like, yes, work on financials all day. Oh, I would love it. But if you're like me, which I think more of you probably are, it's like I would find that very unfulfilling. It's not fun, and it doesn't make me happy. But the truth is, it's just part of the work I have to do. But one time there was this, there was this young Bible college graduate who had come to work for me on the pastoral staff at my church, and I would have these one-on-one meetings. And, and uh, we had a large church, and, and, and he, he would have these meetings with me. And, and for this one meeting is about six months into his ministry career. He said, like, uh, uh, Pastor... <laughs> I feel like you're my boss and God is not my boss. And I want God to be my boss. And I want to spend my time at work doing the things I feel God is telling me to do, not the things you're telling me to do. I mean, he really, he really said this. And I'm just, first of all, I'm thinking, kid, the audacity, you know, good luck sharing this anywhere else. I'll show you some grace. And I just, I just said, no. I said, you know what? Truth is, I'm not God. And so he just kind of started smiling. He said, I said but I am your boss. And you do work for God. By serving your boss. So whistle while you work. <laughs> that was it. We ended it right there. And you know, Paul said it this way. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So, so if, if you go to work and you begin to see God as your boss, then he ultimately is the one that you're trying to please. And and what's going to happen is your stress level is going to be lower. You're going to know what God really wants for you, and you're going to be able to give your best. You're going to be able to give 100%. Why? Because you're working for God. You're working for God. There's a lot more fulfillment that you're going to find in your work because you're doing something that you know is ultimately for God. You say, but God doesn't care about the clean floors that I have to sweep at my, my place. No, but God cares about your heart and cares about your response to those things. And if you're doing it for God, I don't care what it is, it has eternal value. I'll say it again. If you're really working for God, it doesn't matter what you're doing it has eternal value and significance, as long as it's legal. Now, now, make sure that it's important. All right, do that part. But, but maybe you feel like you're just going through life, and every day at work, it just doesn't really matter. But if you decide to work for God while you're in the marketplace, what you're going to find is that you'll be trying to please him in every little, little tiny detail that you're doing. You're doing it to please God. You're making God your boss. And when you do this, there, there are a couple of things here that are really important on making God your boss. And here it is. First of all, love your boss and your coworkers. If God is your boss, you're going to have to love your earthly boss and your coworkers. Love them. Jesus said this is the second most important commandment of all is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, you can insert names in there. Love your boss as yourself. What's your boss's name? Insert that there. Can you say it? Some of you don't even want to say it because you don't want to think about it. But love that person as much as yourself. Your coworkers. Now, which one is your brain going to? Yeah, the, the annoying one, the very annoying, pesky one, right? Think about that. Love that person as much as yourself. I mean, what would happen if you went to work every day with the goal of trying to please God and to love other people? Instead of being constantly ticked at your boss and your coworkers, you actually started loving them and being patient with them, and you sympathized with them, and you cared about them, you get up in the morning saying, today I'm going to make it my goal to love my coworkers. I do my best to do it. 
even the unlovable ones. And the second thing on making God your boss is this, is to serve your boss and your co-workers. Jesus said that the greatest among us would actually be the servant. So instead of looking for ways to get other people to serve you on the job, instead of pushing down the co-workers and are even sucking up to your boss, what if you began actually serving all of them? What if you were the one to bring coffee in the morning? What if you were the one to help out with the projects that other people are struggling with? And what if you, instead of gossiping about them and talking behind their back, chose to speak positively about them and to encourage them? What if that was you? I, I, I had a moment it was recently. This is a few weeks ago, but I was in a hotel lobby. I was eating breakfast, and, and there, was, there, there was a group of employees. There was an employer convention here, and they just kept ripping on their boss, and then they started cussing, then they started saying some of the most vulgar sexual stuff that was just um, unimaginable, and it was all relating to their boss and their work environment. And I just, like, first of all, I'm thinking, dude, your boss paid for you to be here. And, and actually, the company owner, I figured out who, who was. I, I, I asked, I said, what company are you guys with? Who are they? So I was like, well, I'm going to find the boss. I, don't, I just said, hey, I just want to let you know, this little group right over here, if I were you, I would fire them all today. These people are a cancer in your company. If you'd like to know the details, you can come talk to me. They said, really? What? Really? I said, just check their attitudes. You said, you probably noticed their bad attitudes. And the boss going, yeah. Well, I just heard I got a whole big earful. And now I don't know what they ended up doing with them. But I'm just looking at that thinking, dudes, they're paying you. And they're, they're eating their, their buffet. And, and they're enjoying all of this. And, and all they can do is just rip on the boss. And I thought, that's just wrong. What? Now, now you know how, the, how those things work a lot of times in their companies. And you've got to stay away from that. Remove yourself from that. That's what's important. The Apostle Paul, who was Mark's boss at one time, he said these words. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Because if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the first step in becoming unstuck in your field is to change who you are working for and make God your boss. Now, the next step in becoming unstuck in your field is this, is to choose to separate who you are from what you do. Now, I, I imagine that, that Mark was probably in the dumps when he quit, and he was down, and he was depressed, and, 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 and he, he was probably even more down and depressed when Paul rejected him regarding that second trip. It's like, Paul, I mean, the, the cool superstar, you're rejecting me? He probably felt like a failure. He may have felt like a loser, and maybe he felt like he just didn't just wanted to give up on it all and wasn't going to amount to much in his life. Maybe he connected his work with his identity and he didn't know what to do because of what was going on with him. I'm telling you, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of people make that robs your work, uh, actually robs you of joy because of your work, which causes a lot of stress in your lives, is when we connect who we are with what we do for a living. Now, our sense of identity, when it comes from your occupation or our career, that is really very dangerous. And God has helped me a lot with this because I used to have a massive issue with this. And for instance, but today, if you were to come up to me and ask me, Tim, 
what do you do for a living? You might think that I would immediately say, well, I'm a pastor. Or who are you? What are you? you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a pastor. Well, actually, the truth is I don't because I, I've learned that I'm not going to take an occupation and put it in the place of who I am. But typically what I will do is I say things like this. I help people make right decisions. I, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I give public talks regarding permanent life change. That always gets people's ears perked up. I like to get my hands dirty, and I like to help people in the community. I work with people from different backgrounds, and I work with business leaders and political leaders, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I give a reason for people to have hope in their lives and, and purpose in their lives. I mean, after all that, it's like, dude, wow, look at that. that that's quite, But that's what I do. And if you were to actually really consider what you do and who you are more than the job title, that's pretty awesome. The company that I consult for each week, and I've helped them with the same principle as I've walked through it myself, and they know that their job is not really the job description or their job title, but primarily I'll say, what are we here to do? And they'll say right back to me, we're here to help people. We're here to give people hope. We're here to help people gain uh, gain employment and, and to gain respect for themselves. We're to help companies run smoother because we're providing quality employees, and we're to help to provide. We also, through our work, provide resources for the hungry and the cold and the abused and the hurting people both locally and around the world. And so when they say that, they see that their job is this. This is, see, it's not, your, your, your identity is not wrapped up in that job title. Now, I believe answers like this are better because when your identity is your job itself, when you fail at your job, because we all fail at our jobs, all of us, when you fail at your job, you will feel like a failure as a person and then that will destroy you. I've been there. I know how that feels. I don't ever want to go there again. It's not a good place to be. So what we need to do is to realize that as followers of Jesus, our identity is not tied up in our job description or our work tasks or our duties. But uh, it's not tied to how successful we are on the job, but it's tied to who we are in Jesus. Paul, Mark's ex-boss, he stated these words. He says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Doing good works, that's what we do. What do you do? I do good works. You are God's handiwork. He put you together just the way that you are. You're a personal masterpiece of God's design. So don't let yourself, your own criticism of yourself, and don't let other people equate your value or your net worth with your job performance review or your job title. Don't Buy into this garbage that your career is who you are because it is not. And get this. Maybe, just perhaps, your career and your job is not your main purpose in life. Have you ever considered that maybe God has given you a job so that you can pay the bills, so that you can live in your great city and pursue a purpose and a calling that's even outside of your work environment? I mean, many of you are here and, and you have a job so that you can pay the bills and serve people, help people in our city, help other people and influence people who create culture. Maybe God gave you the job that you have right now so that you can pay your bills so that you can serve in our church or open your home or, or as Deb said a little bit earlier, host a small group or be a, be a small group leader and make a difference for God. Maybe God... 
gave you the job that you have so that you can be around other people that you're working with so that you can be a light into their lives and into their world and you can share Jesus with them and you can even be Jesus for them. Maybe your job is not really your true calling, but it's just a way for you to get to the place where God wants you to be. So how do you go about doing this? How do you move forward with this? How do you separate your job from who you are? And how do you keep a separate identity from your job? Well, we just have to look at it this way. Could your job be something more than just making money and earning money to get more material things? Maybe it's so that you can actually give and you can enable so much of God's plans to flourish in your city and around the world. I mean, Jesus, he shared this gut-wrenching truth, and it's about the, the things that happen to people who put their hope and their passion and their, uh, their focus on material things. He said in Mark eight thirty six, he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So, Do what you do well, and do what you do better than anyone else in the world, but do not mistake what you do for who you are. So to get unstuck in your field, first of all, make God your boss. Secondly, you need to separate who you are from what you do. And third, to get unstuck in your field is this, is you need to be choose to be, just make the choice, be faithful in these small little things. Do ordinary things extraordinarily well, and if you do that, you're going to find yourself getting unstuck rather quickly. And unfortunately, that's not how most of us are. I, uh, now, I, again, I don't know what the issue was with Mark on that first trip when he was with Paul and Barnabas, but maybe he was assigned to vacuum the floors while Paul and, Paul and Barnabas did the teaching. I mean, I mean, maybe they were on the stage and he was busy plugging in amplifiers and making sure the microphones worked right. And maybe he was setting up and tearing down chairs. Maybe he had to do the collect the receipts and do QuickBooks, God help him. I mean, maybe he had to prep the facilities for prayer gatherings and clean up all the coffee cups afterwards. Maybe he was the one who had to take pictures for social media and update the website and send out the invoice and in, enter data into the computer all the, the unfun stuff behind the scenes. Maybe he had to carry out the trash. <laughs> one, time, one time a Bible college graduate that was interning, uh, he, he, I, I had arrived early at the office, and there was a bunch of trash that was there, so I picked up the trash and piled it up and kind of put it into some bags. And, and, uh, and he came in, he walked into my office, and, and, and I, was, I, was just, I had just sat down and started kind of going over my notes. I said, hey, will you do a favor? Will you please take out all that trash right there? And, and, and he looked at me and said, me? Now? It's ministry day, not trash day. And he said, I have a degree. I said, yeah, me too. I have a degree, buddy. Um, take out the trash. And, you know, just, just you think about that. But how often do we do that? I mean, Paul, Mark probably got assigned to do some really menial tasks that, that he just considered, considered to be far below his capability. It was not worthy of his degree or his training. He probably considered these tasks to be beneath him. It might have caused him some frustration, and he lost interest, and maybe a little bit of his own pride engaged, and he thought, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. And, and maybe you have been offended by some of the things you've been asked to do. So what ends up happening is you give very little effort. But at the same time, you're praying, and you're secretly hoping to get that promotion or to get that raise. And, and you're praying also at the same time for God to bless you with a better job, with a better boss, and, and things that are just going to be so much better. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. That's not how God works. God 
doesn't bless you with something big if you're not faithful with the small things that you have to do in your hands now. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives this parable. It's a parable with, about a boss with three employees, and the boss goes off on a trip, and he leaves his three employees with some responsibilities, and these are really relatively small responsibilities, and he comes back, and he finds that two employees did a really good job, and they took their small responsibility, and they did it, and they were faithful, and, and they returned it with more, and they produced what the boss wanted them to. And, and, but, and when, when the boss came back, listen to what he said to the faithful employees. Look at this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The word servant actually means employee. It says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So through faithfulness in just a little bit, he said, I'm going to bless you now with a lot. Now, that is how God's economy worked. But, but then this other employee came up who didn't really do anything. He was kind of lazy at his work, and, and he must have thought that his work really wasn't all that important, and so he didn't even do anything. And then he began to verbalize about how heavy-handed and mean his boss is. And, and, and what did the boss do? He took away the small amount that the employee had been given, and he gave it to the ones who were working, the, the one who was faithful. And, other, and then he went and fired the lazy employee. And now here's the interesting thing. Catch this. Jesus said, that's how God's kingdom works. <gasps> what? She really, I, I thought it was all about grace and love and everything. Oh, oh. Well, yeah, of course it's all about grace and love. And when God gives you an opportunity to do something, he wants you to do it. I don't even understand the ramifications of this, but the truth is understanding that, that this is how God's economy works helps to motivate me a lot. You see, if you want something more than what you have now, if you want God to bless you, then it's important to be very faithful with the small things that have been delegated to you now. Some of you, you're thinking, man, this is, this is the best. I'm going to get this message for all of my employees. I'm going to let them listen to you. But, but the truth is, do this now. Do it now. This will increase your faith in God. You will be faithful to God when you are doing the small things that your earthly boss asks you to do. I mean, Solomon even said it this way, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. And do it with all your might. I mean, bam, that's the, that's the best tweet that Solomon could put out having to do with this situation right here. So to get unstuck in your field, choose to remain faithful with the small things. And, and finally this, to get unstuck in your field, choose to persevere even when you feel stuck. Now, What's the easiest thing to do when you feel stuck? Well, it's easy to quit. Quit and give up. Try something new. Career's not working out. I'm going to quit. I'm going to move back home. I'm going to move back with my mom. And, and the boss is making things difficult for me. And, and, and I'm just going to go out to the beach. I'm going to go hang out. I'm going to go, go, go just go enjoy the last little bit of, of nice weather that there is before this horrible Texas winter assaults us. And, and, and maybe, maybe you've got a business and you're trying to get this business going and it's not going well. So you say, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up, going to throw in the towel, forget it, my job's too hard. But hear me, in most situations, not all, but in most situations, quitting does not get you unstuck. Quitting can get you more stuck. Here's the truth. If you really want to get unstuck, the key is this. Begin to trust God enough to stop making excuses, to not have pity parties, and keep moving forward, and look for and ask God for creative solutions for your predicament. 
I remember one time I had a boss and I had another boss over that boss and, and I was just having a terrible, terrible day and, and, and it, was, it was bad. I was so depressed, so upset because the way my boss had, had been doing to me. I mean, he would tell me, like, if you are going to keep working at this church, you're going to have to start spending all night here and work, you know, like all night long. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy. What, what are you asking me to do? And, and, and that, was, that was what was told to me. You're going to have to do this. And the next day, I just the, the, the main head boss is looking at me. He goes, what's wrong? I said, man, I'm just tired. And he said, what's going on? Tell me. And then he said, is, is your boss putting undue pressure on you? He brought it up. I said, yeah. You know what happened? That boss was removed from their position, and I got their position. I kind of stood back, and I went, whoa, how did that just happen? But I was faithful. And I asked God. I remember saying, God, give me a creative solution to get out of this predicament. Maybe God wasn't the cause of you being stuck, but God even wants to use your situation of being stuck right now to teach you to lean on him and to trust him. And Maybe he's wanting you to, to learn, don't rely on your own strength, but rely on my strength. See, here's what Paul wrote about his work when he was in Asia Minor. He said this, he said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, that we despised life itself. Now, that's bad. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this bad stuff, this being stuck, happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God, the God who raises the dead. In other words, what he's saying is if your work really stinks, if it really, really stinks, and you feel like it is killing you, here's the truth. God is teaching you something. He is teaching you to lean into him and to rely on him. And if you're stuck today, have you considered that your being stuck could be one of the best things that's ever happened to you because you're learning to trust in God's strength instead of your own because you don't even have any more strength on your own to rely on. Maybe this situation you're in, God is using it for you to trust in him. You know, earlier I told you that I wanted to tell you how Mark's story ended. Now, we know how it began. We know that it began rough. Mark threw in the towel and he quit. And his credit, I mean, he could have even walked away from what God wanted him to do, what God was calling him to do, but he still quit. Somehow he hung in there. You see, we know this because at the end of Paul's life, his first boss, Paul wrote a letter. This letter is called Second Timothy in the Bible. In fact, this is the last letter, the last words that Paul wrote. He was in prison and he was alone. He was about to be executed. And in his final words, his final letters, he writes this. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, he's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescus has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Not to look at the dogs. I don't know what he was doing in Dalmatia, but doing ministry work. And then he said, only Dr. Luke is with me. Now look at this. He said, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me ministry. The final words of Paul. 
We don't know all of Mark's story, but here's what we do know. He went from being stuck to being unstuck. He was the one who was left behind by Paul to the one that Paul asks for at the very, very end. We know this, that Mark went on also to be a close advisor to Peter, who was Jesus' disciple, who became the first bishop in Rome. And how do we know this? Because Mark ended up writing this second gospel in the New Testament. It's called the Gospel According to Mark. Mark went from being stuck to making an incredible difference for God. And God was growing Mark the entire time that he was stuck and preparing him for something great, preparing him to make a huge difference. And maybe God is using you in this tough time. He's working in you to prepare you for something huge that's next. So here's what I want to say to you. Don't give up. Instead, let God work on your heart in the middle of this time and let this be the place where you learn to trust God and rely on his power. The Apostle Paul said these words. He says, not that we're fit or qualified or sufficient in our ability, but our power and our ability and our sufficiency, it comes from God, and that's where we all need to be. God's the one who gives us success. God's really the boss. God is the one who's in charge. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for every person in this room who's heard these words. I pray for you to massage them in deeply. Those who are going through painful work situations, I pray for light and hope and help and encouragement. God, God, that, that, that you are the one who is working with them, navigating with them through this. And I pray that you, God, will, will give every one of us an overcoming spirit, an overcoming attitude to not be overtaken by the stress of the menial tasks on the job, but instead to recognize that we are working for you, serving for you, and living for you, and making a difference for you. God, change our hearts. Work in us as we work for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.